the troublemakers often take up the majority of a teacher's attention. And increasingly, we're hearing from schools that after lockdown, they're struggling with even more disruptive behaviour, which has possibly been exacerbated over this past year through difficult family circumstances and the pandemic. I'm Tish Fielden, the co-founder and lead therapist at Jamie's Farm. You're listening to Tish with Teachers. Teaching must be one of the hardest jobs in the world. At Jamie's Farm, we'd really like to support those on the educational front line, and that's what this podcast is aiming to do. Today, I'm going to be speaking to Annabelle, a science teacher from Ipswich, about what drives disruptive behaviour and strategies to re-engage children in more positive, constructive relationships. I think what I find really frustrating are those kids that are constantly going through the behaviour system and not really, you know, learning from it. And, you know, each morning I check my emails and see, you know, the students I teach are back in isolation, which means, you know, they're missing lessons, which means they then have these big gaps in knowledge when they do come back, which, you know, inevitably leads to bad behaviour because they don't understand what's been happening. They almost expect to be sent out. And I think that's hard because you're already... They're kind of, they've got that negative attitude they bring to the lesson, which I think as teachers can also be hard to rid in our heads. And then you've got this immediate kind of confrontation from the offset. Yeah, so it's really tough when you've got a child who has possibly feels they've got nothing to lose. They also feel that if they, they often feel victimised or scapegoated and so they will play up to that role. But almost within that, it's a kind of punishment to the teacher because you suffer too. And I think what actually happens is children who are struggling, they unconsciously want us to struggle as well and so their behaviours can feel quite persecutory at times so you've got that both way the child feeling a victim and the and the teacher feeling oh for goodness sake wouldn't it be nice if they could just toe the line (laughs) and get on with it um and I think in all of those things we're we're talking therefore about behaviors where children find it really hard to come alongside and buy into the notion of the behaviour policy within the school or how it is to be a a participant and how it is to put their head in, gauge their brain in the learning mode because they are often the children who are in what I would call a a flight or fight mode but they often behave in ways that are quite aggressive or um, unpleasant. They're sort of verbally attacking, some of them even physically attacking But what I would say is no child is born like that. And so it's a learnt behaviour as a defence because they don't feel safe. Um, If they felt safe to concentrate and learn and they were invested and they believed in that part of themselves that could be a success, I think they would. But so often the script has been written earlier on in their lives, they may have had very negative feedback about themselves or they may feel overwhelmed by the families they're growing up in where they feel a failure even before they set foot in the school door. You know, a a child with a a parent who is struggling, a child of a parent who might um, have 
problems with drugs or alcohol or there's domestic violence or poverty, a family that are worried and anxious about whether they can keep the roof over their head, that child's often feeling a failure. And so when they come to school, they behave that way without it even being... It's not a deliberate or manipulative ploy. It just is. They don't know how else to be, I think. Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting what you said about how they want us to feel how they're feeling because I don't think anyone particularly enjoys that confrontation, whether it's the student or the teacher. But I think once they've already kind of dug that hole, they feel the need to you know, live up to that expectation of the bad behaviour or you know, if they've been rude to you, to then come back from that is almost harder than just to continue being the child that they've started the lesson off as. Yeah, it's a really difficult thing um, for anyone to reset their behaviours. And I think as a, an adult, we often have to say, OK, let's stop the clock, we're going to restart and let, let's get off on a different foot together. And I think that children need us as the adults to do that for them because, as you say, they're already falling over themselves within this pattern that they know best. And they've insulated themselves from that feeling of vulnerability. They'd rather feel that they're taking control um, because you take control when you're anxious. You know, if you feel relaxed, you don't need to take over. So they're taking over and playing often to the group so that there's a often a contingent within a classroom who the shock value is gives them the role of some other power. So it becomes a power battle. And I think what's really important is to speak about that as the teacher individually with the child so that you say... I don't particularly enjoy battles or um, conflict. I'd rather be on the same side. And then you can start a different kind of conversation with them. No, definitely. And I think what you said about they might come into the lesson knowing they're a certain kind of child, but it's so easy as a teacher to base a student off what other teachers have said. And I think we're so guilty of doing it. But actually to pretend you've heard nothing about them from other teachers can actually probably pay dividends in the end give them that clean slate you know when you start teaching them yes and and they their classroom culture I remember you know when I was a teacher there was it's the relief it's it's the safety release valve as a teacher sometimes to go into a staff room and talk about a child we are collectively building exactly what that child thinks a sort of a version of them and I think with behavior I always try and bring myself back to this isn't the child this is a form of communication they're flagging up something I wonder what it is that they can't say but they are needing to do this instead to convey some kind of message and the message is I'm I'm fa- you know I'm failing or I'm flailing I'm unsafe <coughs> Yeah, no, definitely. I always think that with certain behaviours that they've seen that somewhere, they're modelling that, they've learnt that, they've not, they're not intrinsically a bad person. They've obviously seen people behave in that way to think it's acceptable and that's obviously in itself telling us something. The good news is that it's really worth persevering with these children because their brains are so malleable and we now know that they're changing really fast. It's, it's a bit like another growth spurt. Um... It means that you can help reroute some of these patterns. But because 
of the way that the brain is constructed, they are functioning in the emotional centres much more than logic. The part of the brain that governs logic and reasoning is less active in a teenage brain and a younger brain. It actually doesn't fully develop until they're about 18. So philosophising, lecturing, um, being rational and sermonising just doesn't work. And the other thing is that they think in very black and white terms because they actually live in the here and now. They're not interested in the future. They are in where they are right now. And we're asking them to have this bigger picture, but it's not accessible to a lot of them. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because um, the way our behaviour system works is if a student gets detention that evening and chooses to miss it, uh, they end up in what we call the personalised learning area. But that means obviously being in the kind of equivalent of isolation for a day, which is obviously far, far worse. However, because one is today and the other is tomorrow, time after time I see students miss it knowing that that means the whole of the next day. But it's just not today's problem. And I think it's really important to remember as a teacher quite how differently their brain works because it explains a lot of those emotional you know, reactions that as adults you would never do because we know what the consequences are but they just don't seem important to the student at the time. No, and it's really sad because a lot of behavioural systems are are designed around a consequence system, which, as you say, doesn't really work for children because um, they're driven by impulses. And if a friend asks them to go off and do something after school, and they're also, they're much more socially motivated. So they're building their identity and that part of the brain that centres around those social connections will take precedence. So as you say, the the logical consequence, I'm going to spend all day in isolation, actually has no real bearing at that moment. It doesn't carry any weight. And yet we so often as adults continue to talk about children's futures in a way that isn't illuminating but almost deterministic and They just zone out. (laughs) So obviously we don't want to push, you know, students into a corner where we get this fight or flight reaction, but while also trying to follow, you know, school's behaviour system, how would you suggest like striking that balance between creating boundaries but preventing that kind of emotional reaction that can happen? Yeah, one of the things is they look to us to be the adult and so often um, in their lives, the adults in their lives are really struggling and they overshare that struggle. So one of the things is it's really important to the teacher that we actually model robustness and taking personal responsibility And that is a form of boundary. So rather than blame the child, you know, I spent all evening preparing this work for you and you're now not even willing to take a look at it. Um, You don't want to trigger the shame part. But what you can say is have very high expectations. And I so often will have, say to a a young person, um, right, it would be great, we're going to get this done now, thank you. And the thank you is the assumption that they'll do it rather than the please, which is they might decide not to. But again, modelling that you have limits as a person, it's like I will often say I'm not willing to be treated like this, so I'm going to take a break and come back and try and understand what's happening in a, in a few minutes. The showing that you're not willing to be just the other part of the drama it's like a psychodrama the child's playing out so being able to say you know I really like to understand you but equally I don't enjoy being shouted at or sworn at or whatever so 
I'm going to remove myself from that. And so you're taking responsibility for your self-preservation. And you can gradually build that. Children so often say to me, oh, I really like the strict teachers, but they have to be interested and know who I am and be fair. And I think that the stricter the teacher, as long as it's within a personal relationship, so it's bounded by you actually want this child to feel understood is really powerful. But I think that when we don't bound our relationships um, with that kind of underlying care and concern, but just with a set of rules, we're anonymous. We're just part of the, the system that they want to kick out at. So relationships break down systems. They individualize. And children so often say, no one understands me. And when they come to Jamie's farm, one of the most commonly heard things here is here people are willing to listen here I feel understood and I know we have more time to do that on a farm but you can take that time after a class or walking to a class or you know making a little moment with a child to try and get alongside them and not play the game of cat and mouse or us and them or you know victim persecutor yeah, no, definitely. I think the thing you said about it can be so easy when a student is kind of reacting to react back and actually to take that step back and, you know, say, I'm going to take a moment out. It removes a fuel from the fire that they can't keep coming back at you because they are literally fighting themselves. Um, but also how you said, you know, they actually do love boundaries. And I think I've seen that a lot this year. And by having those clear rules, I've then built better relationships in those groups where it does just feel like a nicer environment. And I think they know where they stand with me. And they, if they cross that line, they knew where that line was. And I think that's really important as adults, but definitely important as these kind of students that need those clear guidelines. But you represent your relationship with those children um, is one that they respect now. It's not something you get by saying, respect me as a teacher. You earn respect by what you do and who you are. Um, and children learn so much by what they see and experience, not by what we say. So that's the problem with school systems that have a lot of kind of rote um, versions of this is who we are. Um, they haven't yet bought in. They don't feel a sense of belonging. But you can create that in your own classroom, that sense of belonging, that sense of purpose, that sense of... Um, you know, I know who you are. I, I, I'm concerned about who you are and how you are. Um, and they will give that back. It's doing the stuff that, as you said, little things like noticing them for them. And I think that doesn't always happen within my classroom teaching science, but noticing them in the corridors, like just getting to know the students. And it's really hard to do at the beginning, but it definitely pays. You know, you really reap the benefits over the long term. And whether that's you know, going and watching their football game after school or, you know, I think I'm playing in one of their football games next week because they needed someone on the team. And it's little things like that that at the beginning you think is the worst thing you could possibly do for the kids to see that other side of you. Actually, they respect you so much more because they don't just see you as the one at the front of the room shouting because they won't open their book. They also go, oh, but she did pop down earlier and, you know, oh, she remembers my name or that I was busy this weekend doing this activity. I just think it pays so much and they are small things that if you can do that, you'll really see the benefits, especially with those students that I guess are slightly more difficult and don't really, you know, succeed as much in academia. So noticing them for things that 
you know, a part of their personality outside of how good they are at science will actually help them in their lessons. That's lovely hearing you say that because I think all of that is so true and and you just have to do it to have reap the fruits and the benefits. So Tish, I think something that I really struggle with, especially like once behaviours happened, is we have reparative meetings where we're meant to meet the student and talk through maybe why they got it to like avoid it happening again. And at the minute, I just don't feel those conversations are particularly productive for me or the student and I feel it just ends me lecturing them which as we discussed is possibly the worst thing and I have you got strategies on how I approach those conversations to repair those relationships well I think the first thing is to think that what you're trying to do is build a bridge um, between you and the child and you're not going to build a bridge in in five minutes it's like stepping stones across a river so you you're starting a process of trust of listening of trying to understand what's going on and I think one of the things is not to focus too much on the if you like the the negativity of the behavior or what the sins of the child have been so to speak but more on the context and actually to use language like you know I'm wondering what's going on for you because I could feel that you weren't at your best today So you're indicating in that that you do know the child has another side or a part of you seem to be feeling um, particularly frustrated or you could say to them, you know, um, I'm wondering if something's bothering you because it felt like it was really hard for you to concentrate. So all of those are quite open-ended comments. They're not what's going on, I want to understand it. They're more an invitation to a child to say, I I know this isn't you at your best or this isn't how you always are, but I can tell today was a difficult day. And I sometimes use this kind of scatter technique because when they do start to talk, I can say, well, just for example, tell me five things that have um, made you feel fed up today or this week. And very often they'll start with kind of big, obvious things or small things. And then they run out but they get to nearer to the bone of what it is. So they put a big smoke screen around the problem. And if you give them that opportunity to give you four or five examples of what's really upset them or irritated them, they might eventually get nearer to it. And I think in all of those things, it's showing empathy. It's being able to come alongside and say, um, not tell me more, don't interrogate them, but actually say, what that sounds tough uh you know uh, can you help put me in the picture so you are showing them that you understand that you're willing to hear their point of view and I think that you never bring up the past you don't shame them with you know well this is the third time this has happened or um so and so told me that you misbehaved in their class you're you're using the here and now that that child's in with you and you're demonstrating concern and interest at the same time as being able to show that you want to shine a light on things. So you want to move forward. Um, You want to show that child that there is the possibility of going forward. And in that, you can often pick up on, you know, an example of when they've been at their best. Or um, you might say, you know, I was really grateful last night when you gave me that smile at the end of the lesson because, in fact, I was a bit 
knackered yesterday and it was just really nice to see um, or it was great to see you go off with your friends laughing. You know, it was good to see that you were feeling okay in that moment. Um, something that contextualised them as a person? Um, something I really liked that you mentioned in your book was the idea of using, you know, metaphors to, I guess, make the situation that the child's in a little bit less just about the here and now and, you know, giving them a context. I think we can use metaphor and imagery with children it's a much more neutral language you know and it's a bit like um giving them an example you you can say um you know if we're on on a boat we're trying to steer in the same direction I hope but when we both take the tiller we're going round and round in circles or um you know, it felt today like um, you reminded me of my dog when he's feeling unsettled and he gets a bit barky. But actually, it's because he's not feeling great and something spooked him. Um, you you can give children other ways to express. You know, you can get them if you want them to talk. You need to sort of lead the way, but not as an interrogation, not as a imagining that there's a, an, a yes and no answer, not imagining that you're going to solve the problem in one because their problems are massively multifarious. They're made up of a million different parts. You know, a child's poor self-esteem is like, you know, many, many nails that have gone into their flesh. They, we can't get to be the surgeon who removes them all at once. What we can do, though, is show that we're willing to be there for them in that process of finding their better selves. And I think when we refer to the parts of a child, like, you know, a part of you's feeling really fed up today or a part of you's really feeling angry, um, you are, you're enabling them to see that you're not saying you are angry, you are not, you know, you're a negative person, you are badly behaved. We have to not identify them, assassinate the personality, we can name the behaviour. Yeah, no, I really like that. I've heard before, as you said earlier, the whole thing, saying thank you, not please. And while they sound like little things, I can really see how it's just changing that classroom culture. And I think I've heard before of saying the behaviour in my classroom earlier was not acceptable, not you were unacceptable or you were horrible or you were rude, because as you said, that's then something that they're going to live up to. It's just like today, I like how you said this side of you or this behaviour wasn't acceptable is very unlike you. And I think it removes kind of it being their, their personality that you're you know, pulling apart. Yeah, and I think that when there is an event, it's really impossible to talk about it whilst the child is inflamed. Um, so I think it's really important to put a gap in there between trying to do something reparative or um, coming alongside them. You you need to give them time to cool off, and I think um, don't you know some schools enable this some don't but I think that actually physically when children are upset they are physically um, their heart rate's gone up they're in a state of excitation and the only way to bring that down is to actually burn it off or it takes much longer and so sometimes with the kids I suggest that they go and run up down the stairs a few times and then when they feel a bit better we might 
we might try and have a conversation. But I think giving them opportunities, what the, one of the problems is tying children to desks ver- metaphorically through, you know, the requirement to get through so much work and curriculum is a disaster for some teenagers um, because they might be hungry and hangry, you know, they might be um, a bit ADHD on the spectrum. They have got very poor concentration, so they've got very short cycles. They need physical activity to intersperse, and we expect children to sit still. It's not their natural state. You put them normally into situations and you watch how children move all of the time and I think that's the difficulty is we're creating education systems that actually work against the instincts of a lot of children. No that's really really helpful I think these you know restorative conversations I can very much see the benefit of them but I think a lot of us just lack knowing how to approach them and you know approaching them you know not productively just feels almost like a waste of time so I'm really looking forward to putting this into practice and trying this out at school, so thank you. Well, thank you, because it's really great to think about this together and maybe we can go further with this thinking how we can fill some of those gaps, which I don't think any of us in our teacher training were given many clues as to what was going on behind the behaviour of children or what the most constructive ways were of building relationships. So I hope to enjoy building these building blocks together with you and other teachers um, in the future. So thank you very much for your time today. Um, And it'd be great to hear what difference, if any, it makes. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. And we'd love to hear from you too. So do follow the Twitter handles in the description to join in the conversation, hashtag Tish with Teachers. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and pass it on to others. And we'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. There are links in the description to the Jamie's Farm website and to my book, Creating Change for Vulnerable Teens, if you'd like to find out more about the charity's approach to supporting young people. In the next episode, we'll be talking to Rob, a teacher from London, about how to work with children who seek attention by clowning around. I do hope you can join us. Goodbye. Goodbye.